0: Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back. First of all, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I just did my first episode ever, my first podcast ever, and no idea what the heck I'm doing. And so many of you reached out and just had the most amazing things to say, gave me so much love, gave me so much support, and um, were brave and courageous. You shared with me. The letter that you wrote to yourself, which you're going to read to yourself in 2024, thinking your future self, holy smokes, blown away, you guys, at not just, again, the love and support you showed me, which without, I have no words to say how much, how, how grateful I am, but just for the fact that you were so raw and transparent and authentic, I found out that so many of you are embarking on amazing journeys, that you have such exciting things coming up. And I would have never known if I hadn't done that first episode. So um, a lot of you took it to heart to write that letter and you you shared it with me. And I got your emails and I got your text messages and I got your calls. And I got to just tell you, my gas tank is full. So thank you for giving me that and um, sharing it with me because I am so excited to see what you're going to continue to do. And without further ado, it hit me. <laughs> I never told you guys about who I am, my story. So I wanted to take just a couple of minutes to tell you about about me, right? So my name is Donna Nazir, and I am the daughter of immigrants. I am first-generation American. My parents came from Havana, Cuba, when I was just a little girl, about three and a half years old. We sailed across the Atlantic. We escaped with literally nothing but the shirts on our back. And we were rescued out in the middle of the ocean by the United States Coast Guard. So um, I come from the humblest of beginnings. Uh, we kind of bounced around all over the country, kind of like gypsies trying to find our way. We finally settled down in Los Angeles in a neighborhood which progressively got worse from the day we moved in till the day we moved out. Um, I'm talking drive-by shootings on Friday nights I had attended more funerals by the time I was 14 years old than any kid in their right mind should ever attend. I watched more mothers cry over losing their children. I personally held on to friends while their families had been shot at, um, friends that were drenched and covered in blood. I don't wish these things upon anyone. I mean, these were some really, really tough times. When I tell you that I come from the humblest of beginnings, like I kid you not, the humblest of the humblest beginnings. And so... Um, my story starts that, you know, obviously once I become an adult, I decide to go into residential real estate, which is where a lot of you guys know me from. I became an entrepreneur, but that really wasn't my first career. My first career was corporate human resources. I interviewed my heart out for a job that I ended up absolutely freaking hating. I hated every single day of my life at this job. And, um, I'm grateful for the opportunity because had I not gone through that, I would not be where I'm at today. I would not realize, um, I would have never embarked on on an entrepreneur journey, which you know I've been celebrated by the Wall Street Journal. I've landed myself on a list of top 1% of agents in the nation, built over a uh, seven-figure business, literally from scratch, absolutely from scratch. None of this would have been possible had I not taken that job that I absolutely hated with corporate America. And you know what's crazy is when I was, Interviewing for this job, I was so excited. I was excited because it was this shiny object, right? I had an opportunity to have a corporate card. I was going to fly all over the United States representing this Fortune 500 company. Um, I really felt like I had made it. And I had a paycheck every Friday. I had benefits. I had a beautiful office. But I would sit on that freeway on the way home every single day and I would feel like I was dying inside. I was miserable. And when I tell you miserable, like miserable, like I absolutely was fine when I left work, um, fine at home. But when I was at work, I felt empty. I just felt like there had to be more to my life than being in this corporate environment surrounded by suits, surrounded by a lot of times what felt like, I hate to say it, but people that had sold out and sold their soul to the devil almost. I know it sounds rough. But that was my personal experience. That's my take on where I was at that time in my life. And I I was miserable. So when I embarked on my entrepreneurship journey, I couldn't fail. There was no looking back. Um, There was only one way to go. And that was up. I knew if I left behind the security of a corporate job and the status that I had maybe built in my own head that came along with it, that there was absolutely no way that I could say that I, had, I wasn't going to make it in real estate. Now, keep in mind, let's rewind back to the beginning of my story. I grew up dirt poor, which means I can honestly tell you that when I got my real estate license, I didn't know anyone that had ever bought a house. There was one lady in our neighborhood, I take it back, there was one lady... And she was a homeowner, but she was super weird about it, you guys. She wouldn't tell us, you know, how she did it. Or I think she was just so worried about the fact that she knew we were so poor and she had all this equity, probably had her house paid off free and clear. And, you know, she had obviously a scarcity mindset. She didn't have a mindset of abundance, abundancy, but this woman just never shared any of the stuff with us. And how remarkable, how inspirational that would have been for that woman to just say, hey, this is how I did it. And you guys could do it too. Those conversations Never came to light. So here I am, an adult real estate agent with a license, and I don't know anybody who's honestly ever shared this journey with me, including myself. I had never gone on this journey, so I had to figure it out by figuring it out by bumping my head in the dark, if you will. And, um, you know i I built the company from scratch, and I literally will never tell you anything from a place of preaching, I think we've established this during the first podcast. Anything that I ever bring to the table is because I've been there. I have eaten the top ramen. I have swallowed lumps and I have had my butt handed to me on several occasions. That's what entrepreneurs do. We get up and we lose and we lose and we fail forward. And the more you fail, the more rejection, the stronger we become. And the more invincible you become, the more resilient you become. And so I literally learned to um, embrace no's because I knew that every no meant that I was closer to yeses. And I knew that every no wouldn't kill me. I started realizing like there's nothing to be afraid of. So I became like bulletproof. And I'll tell you what, the more I excelled in my career, the better I became in my career, the better mom I became, the better friend I became the better my relationships in my life in general became. So it's crazy how concentrating on the segment of my life that I really wanted to be successful at, kind of like avalanche into all of these other really cool relationships. And um, I think it comes from a place of just being raw and vulnerable and just, you know, I put myself out there. And so allowing myself to just show up and as the best version of myself, kind of take it or leave it, and this is who I am, There was something really magical about that that I think my friends and my family recognized. And so it made those relationships um, even better. The better I became in my business, the better I became in life and the better I became at winning and the better I became at losing because you need to know how to lose as well, right? So in 2011, uh, the real estate market was in the toilet. I mean, it was rock bottom People were losing their houses left and right. Talk about the great mortgage meltdown crisis, right? It was it was terrible. There was blood on the street. Uh, to make matters even worse, I was going through my own divorce at the time. So I literally, like all of these routines, all of these things that make us feel like a family, that make us feel like you're doing okay, they all got ripped away from me literally overnight. Like when I tell you ripped away, I mean my career had come to a screeching halt Um, my marriage had ended. My dog, I had to give my dog away because I was not able to take my dog where I was headed. I had to condense everything that I owned down to almost nothing so it could fit in the new place that we were going to call home. So, you know, here I was starting again, starting from scratch. I was no stranger to starting over and building. But now we were in 2011 and The real estate market's in the toilet bowl, right? Which, let's face it, our jobs, our careers, what we do for a living, a lot of times we can, our self esteem is tied into these things. So when these things are going bad, there was really nothing else to fall back on, right? When I hated my job with corporate America, at least I had a pretty cool life after working hours. But this time, my career was falling apart and my life was literally a sad country song. If you would play it backwards, I would get everything back. But I had lost. Everything. And so it was in 2011, when I thought I had nothing left to give, that my sister and I started an organization by the name of Rena's Dresses. And what we decided to do was to talk to anyone who would listen and collect dresses. My sister had lost a baby, baby, an infant, um, years prior. And she had kind of walked around life always thinking, like, oh, this is the year Rihanna would have been going to kindergarten, this is the year she would have been graduating from junior high school. This is the year she would be graduating from high school. Well, when that year came around, um, she mentioned the fact that she would never be able to buy her daughter a prom dress. And so from this pain and this emptiness, she came up with the fact that, hey, what if we... Gave back to these other girls. I was so tired of hearing her talk about this because it's something that she had brought up several times, but it was almost like an urban legend at this point. Like it was never going to happen. So she's visiting visiting me in my condo, which me and my daughters affectionately named the dollhouse because it was literally our home after divorce. My daughters obviously are girls. And so there was three of us in the house, all girls. And what we had done is just picked our favorite pieces of furniture from the old house and there wasn't a lot of room, but we did it with so much love in our heart. And so we literally came up with this little version of our new life that we absolutely loved. We were head over heels in love with our new place. So it's 2011, real estate's in the dump. And um, my sister is mourning the loss of her daughter. Well, it's during the time that I thought I had nothing left to give that we decided we're going to start this organization, Rena Stresses. And we started by collecting dresses from my very closet. I told my sister enough. We're not talking about this anymore. Come with me. She walked down the hallway into my master bedroom. I pulled off five dresses from my closet that I had worn to friends' weddings in the past, family members' weddings in the past, and you know, gently used gowns that I was never probably ever going to wear again. Threw them on my bed, and I said to her, we're starting now. And in the morning, my sister comes back to the house. She's got a big Starbucks for me um she had one for herself and we just start literally dialing anybody that would listen to us about this effort to collect dresses. My sister was a paramedic firefighter, so we took um we took it upon ourselves to start reaching out to some of the fire stations and telling the guys, "Hey, tell your wives, tell your girlfriends to clean out the closets. This is what we're doing. We were going to send underprivileged children to prom." And um you know, we were not financially stable, you guys. We had no money. We had no resources. None of us had ever started a nonprofit. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. But what we did know was that feeling sorry for ourselves and sitting around and missing Rihanna was not going to serve anyone well. It wasn't going to serve the kids well. It wasn't going to serve us well. And it definitely is not something Rihanna would have been proud of. So we decided to take our pain and turn it into something positive. And we decided that we were going to help and give back. And um, we just started collecting the dresses and Somehow, some way, my sister ends up on the Oprah network. Oprah finds out about what we're doing and dedicates an entire segment to Lives on Fire, which was a show that fo- followed, I believe five female firefighters around at the time, and features our first ever um, Rena's dresses dress effort, which took place with five young ladies, uh, five amazing souls that we found through the school counselors, And through the school districts, we brought them together. And it was just this amazing love fest. They had their hair done, their makeup done, their nails done. They got to pick out a dress. They got to pick out shoes. Now, these were all shoes and dresses that had a story. They had been gently worn by someone before. But when these girls walked in, it was like a store. There was thousands of dresses waiting for them to try on. And we did a photo shoot. There was a limo waiting for them and their dates. And they went out to an amazing dinner at a really cool local Italian restaurant and i'll never forget this day right because here i was broke and i was you know i was down on my luck but i have never felt richer in my entire life my gas tank was so full by my interaction with these women i felt i felt like i was on top of the world because these girls were so brave and so courageous and they had tremendous stories that even as an adult I wouldn't be able to wrap my head around some of the stories these kids had lived through, and yet they were standing in front of me, you know, and they were so beautiful and they were so um present and so grateful and they really knew the community cared they knew that they mattered and um the only thing asked asked of them was to play it pay it forward some someday later in life, and you know um This is my humble story. This is basically where my story takes place. Um, Rena's Dresses really was a company, a nonprofit organization that we built, but in reality, it built us. It reminded me what we're made out of. It reminded me that tough times don't last, tough people do. It reminded me that community is everything, and when you think you have nothing left to give, look around you. There's somebody behind you that needs you, so don't feel sorry for yourself for too long, you, you 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 turn around, there's somebody behind you that's looking up to you, I guarantee it. And, and give them a hand, help pull them up. And so that's really what, what we did with these girls. It, it looked from the outside looking in like we were helping them, but we were just giving them a dress and a pair of shoes. And what they were giving us was so much greater. It was so much more impactful and, and rewarding, right? Helping others really was... The story that made us, that made us. And so um, I want to just remind you that, you know, and I say this with all the love in my heart nobody is coming to rescue you. You need to rescue yourself. No one is coming, you guys. Tomorrow starts now. If you have something that you've been putting off doing, you start by starting. It's never going to be perfect. But you just got to put one foot in front of the other and show up every single freaking day because I promise you, somebody needs you to do that. And many times it's us, right? Like that story of 2011, it, it saved me in more ways than a person could ever be saved. You know, I will never forget those experiences with those, with those young ladies and how they've shaped me into the woman that I've become. But I really want you to take to heart the idea that no one is coming to save you. You have to save yourself. We all grew up listening to fairy tales where the prince is rescued at the end by the prince. And, you know, I genuinely think we should all get together and do a class action lawsuit and sue the hell out of Disney, right? (laughs) Because what a crock of, you know what, we were all fed as kids growing up about, you know the dragon and slaying the dragon and and the prince that comes to save us it's not real none of this is real right the only thing that's real is life is happening around us and it's happening really really fast it doesn't wait for anyone so we got to save ourselves we have to be the champion of our own story if you're not happy you're not a tree you're not planted you can move just like when i had my career with corporate america i genuinely thought that's what i wanted i had built my life around the perception that I had made it. I had this really cool Southwest power office in Westwood. I had you know, everything that you could think of from the outside looking in, it looked like I had made it, but I was miserable and I was, I was lonely and it was not a good place to be. Because when you are failing yourself, when you're not tapping into your divine purpose, when you're not staying in the fight in the way that God or the source or the universe, whatever you wanna call it, intends for you to do, you're going to feel like you're dying inside. You're going to feel like you're dying inside because the dreams that you dream, if left unanswered, will bury you. And death will find you years before it ever comes. And I don't say that to be negative and I don't say that to preach gloom and doom. But if you were looking for a sign, if you were wake- looking for a wake-up call, this is it, you guys. Rescue in yourself in 2023 is the new sexy. This is what we need to do, right? So how do we do that? Well, think of it this way. If you were lost in the middle of the Amazon, right? It's a tough place to survive, anyone who's been out there. um, I've got a, a great friend who's been on Naked and Afraid and they've been in the Amazon and they've heard some crazy stories. This is insane out there. It's like literally the survival of the fittest. If you were dropped in the middle of the Amazon and you had, let's say you were running low on supplies or you had run out of supplies, and you had this radio that was kind of staticky, it was coming and going, or a phone, whatever you have, the the only method of communicating you have is kind of like going in and out, maybe you have a bar left or whatever, and all of a sudden you hear a voice on the other side of your phone say, you know, where are you? You guys, if you don't know where the hell you are, there is no way help is ever going to reach you. So the first thing you need to do if you want to reach your next chapter, if you want to help yourself, if you want to rescue yourself, is really take raw, honest inventory of where you're at right now. Where are you at? Remove the mask, remove the roles, remove the perception of the roles that you play on social media, with friends and family, what they expect from you. Where are you at? And if you can answer that with clarity, then you are in a position to really rescue yourself and take yourself to the next Stage of your life because what the world needs right now is you. Everyone else is already taken. We need you to show up as your most authentic, your most genuine self. And we need you to show up and we need you to kick ass and take names. There are people counting on you, people you haven't even met yet that need you to step into this role that you were created for, your divine purpose. I want to leave you with a quick story that I've told myself in the past that I know for a fact has helped me, and I hope it helps you. We've all been children, right? And we've all seen the way children play. They're authentic. They're real. They're present. They're pure. There's something really cool about being around kids. They'll never lie to you, right? They'll tell you the truth. And so I remember being a little girl, and... um, thinking of what it would be like to, to grow up, what I would look like, what I would, you know, what my life would be like. And let me tell you, boy, was I freaking off. When I was eight years old, I lived on a farm in Texas back in our gypsy days when we were bouncing around the U S and my sister felt inspired for whatever reason. She took me and did my makeup, did my hair. I'm eight years old. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. She was a kid herself. She didn't know what she was doing, but she took me outside and she said, we're going to do a photo shoot. So she puts me by this tree and she takes my picture. And it's the first time that I can ever remember seeing a picture of myself. It was a Polaroid picture at the time um, of myself with my hair and my makeup done. And I don't know where that picture is till this day, but I could still see it in my mind. It burned an impression in my mind. And I was like, wow, is that me? Like I was blown away by like the potential, the hope, right, of what the future could hold. And I never felt pretty growing up. I was never one of the pretty girls. And so I just genuinely was like the tomboy, that wore like the socks that didn't match and wanted to play outside with my brothers. I wanted to play like cowboys and Indians. And so seeing myself all dolled up with my hair and my makeup done by my older sister was like this treat. And I was like inspired by this. So long story short, when I grew up and life started handing me lumps, right? I started losing friends along the way got a divorce under my belt, just life started happening at a really fast level, I would pretend that there was a knock at the door and that there would be that eight-year-old version of me waiting at the door. And what I would tell myself so that I wouldn't go into a full-blown panic attack and anxiety attack was that this kid loved me and this kid was excited to see who I am what I was doing, how I was doing it with the innocence and the awe of a child. And so I would, I've done this several times in life, specifically when life gets tough or when I'm feeling a little lost. I pretend that kid's knocking at the door and she's not gonna go away, right? If you've ever been around a kid that has a question to ask you, but why, but why, but why, it's not gonna go away. So that knock will not stop until you open that freaking door. And when you open that door, that eight-year-old version of you is standing at the door. And they love you. They don't want to see you fail. But they are excited to meet you. They want to see what you've been up to. How you've been doing it. What your environment looks like. And so if that kid, that eight-year-old version of you were to knock on the door today, what would they see? Would you be proud of what they would see? Would you feel like you have a lot of explaining to do? Would you need like a good day to like clean up and get it together? I think... What I'm trying to get at is that that kid would never expect for you to be perfect because they love you and they're going to accept you no matter what, but it's up to you to make sure they're not disappointed. You have to impress that kid every single freaking day. So I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to give you an assignment. When we end this podcast, I want you to picture yourself at eight years old. Picture every little freckle on your face, your hair, if it was goofy, oily, ugly. I don't care. However it looked, picture yourself at your door with your goofy socks, whatever you wore. And with, for me, it was hand-me-downs and mixed match socks and like dirty sneakers. And like, I was a mess. Picture whatever you want at the door, but they're at the door and they're not going away. And open that door. Open that door. Let them in. And you tell me, what that kid sees, I want to hear about it. Is there anything that you want to work on? Is there anything that you want to implement? And you know, the cool thing about this is that that kid's going to come back and visit you throughout your life. So it's not like this is like a one-time thing and they go away. Anytime you want to take inventory and feel raw and feel authentic about where you're at, play this little game. You get that knock on the door, you let them in and you have a conversation with them because you can't lie to them, right? And so that's a really great place to take inventory of where you're at. And that kid will be your biggest cheerleader, by the way. Again, they're not, we think that we're going to disappoint them. That's kind of like our broken way of thinking. But you can't disappoint that kid because that is your biggest freaking cheerleader. They love you. They want to see you win. So without further ado, go open the door. I want to hear what happens. Sending you much love. Bye.